The presenting sponsor of On Education is Participate. Lately, teachers from all over have been working together to find new approaches to provide quality remote education. Participate's sister company, Participate Learning, presents United We Teach, a global gathering place for educators to share distance learning resources as we navigate these strange times. For these resources and more, visit participate.com slash oneducation. I couldn't work in that environment because I barely wear pants these days. <laughs> On Education, part of the On Podcast Media Network. My name is Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We'll give you our takeaways from the 2020 election results, discuss whether jeans should be allowed at work, how gaming has helped many through the pandemic, and our guest this week is the amazing Audrey Waters. So we have a winner. <laughs> I, uh, we, I waited. I, we probably could have recorded... The podcast mm-hmm. on Wednesday, Tuesday, even no, not Tuesday, but yeah, maybe Wednesday or Thursday. Week, but, sure. but we wanted to wait, and I'm so glad we did, just because we make we sure have a that winner. we yeah that, that we knew for sure what the results were. I actually really thought it was very responsible for for all of the um, different news stations to just wait, you know. And to say that that's part of the process, that the votes do need to get counted, um, and that we shouldn't just declare winners. As other, other than people's <laughs> like like general anxiety and lack of sleep, which mm-hmm. definitely I suffered, uh, I found it very hard to do just about anything, work, um, anything, um, since Tuesday night. And yeah. uh, so I was ready for it to get called. Once it was obvious that Philadelphia was going to come through and Pennsylvania was going to was going to flip, yeah. Um, and you know the lead in Arizona was obvious. Um, you know, even if Georgia hadn't turned, um, I would have. You know, I was ready. I was ready for them to call it. You know, (laughs) probably Thursday or Friday, but (laughs) I am, um, I'm fine that they waited. Um, the speeches last night were absolutely amazing. Yes. Um, Kamala Harris just sounds like she's ready to be the president already. And that's, uh, it was awesome. It was awesome. It was so inspiring. Um, and, and really exciting. And, and, it was so cool. The coolest moment I thought in Biden's speech was um, his speech on Saturday was that he addressed educators mm-hmm. um, in the speech, which I'm not sure I've ever really heard like in a speech that was that big of a deal. Like that was his, you mm-hmm. know, it, it was That's his huge. winning speech, right? His victory speech. And he talked directly to teachers and said, you have an ally right in the white house. And, um, I think that that, I feel like that, like, I'll be honest, like if you know anything about like political gamesmanship, like every word of that speech means something. Like, like it's like the state of the union, right? Like you have to crafted. Yes. Yes. You have to fight for that content. 
and and every word is recorded in like the annals of history like that mm-hmm. is a big speech mm-hmm. um and um that educators were 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 given time in it and told explicitly that they had um people on their side now um means something it means i think it means more than even like the emotions that we're feeling about it it means way more than that and i and i think we'll see that as we see dr biden um you know really plant her flag in you know in some of these issues that educators really really need to have dealt with and now we have someone that is going to literally have the ear of the president of the united states to make things happen yeah um it's it's really it's it's exciting it's thrilling yeah it was they were amazing speeches as nicole and i my wife and i were discussing just the how amazing the speech writers are and how they craft every single word is so important as you described mike um there was some references in there to um past literature and just obviously historical references mm-hmm. and then he called himself uh joe biden and said i'm just jill's husband and basically saying that the issues that are being brought forth uh, in this case, educational issues by by her will be heard and they will be addressed and it will be um, a presidency with addressing these at the federal level. And, you know, even with uh, uh, President Obama, though there was a lot of educational things done, it, there was a lot of risk taking done in, in education. Uh, some of the some of those things that happened didn't um come to fruition but i do appreciate that they were trying to take risks and trying to go in in multitude multiple ways instead of just what's always been done um but i think this is going to be one of those things where we're going to be listening to an educator <laughs> instead of just someone who thinks they know about education it's so different just mm-hmm. even the people on the outside on the perimeters of 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 education that think they know what's best for us don't really know what's best for us until they've been, until they've done the job. So, yeah, hundred uh, percent agree about the speeches and about the way that I felt yesterday. We had a little mini party. I mean, it was just my wife and I and my kids. <laughs> right. But we celebrated here in the house, and just just the sense of relief and uh, joy that we can feel. Um, and you know, lighter step. You know, as you're walking, you're. I like, was okay. just about to say. You know what okay. it feels like? It feels like a 320 pound weight has yeah. just been lifted off of. Yeah. Frankly, the world's shoulders, yes. not just the United, just the United States. States. <laughs> like people, people kept. I, I got DM. Like I was pretty like animated on Twitter over the last week or so mm-hmm. uh, about all of this, and and people. I got a couple of DMs. Why? Like about being so engaged in it, and it's like. This affects all of us. Yeah. The United States pulled out of Paris um, Mm -hmm. climate agreement, and, like, that affects me. Um, 
you know, free trade agreements affect me. Yes. My company that I work for is based in the United States. That affects me. Our sister company, um, Participate Learning, mm. um, was incredibly impacted by the policies of Donald Trump related to visas and yeah. and work visas and stuff like that because they bring teachers in from all around the world to the United States to teach. And that impacted them mm. like unbelievably. Um, my entire livelihood and the health of the world and well, yeah, the stability say, of the this, planet one thing kind of going on yes was but... <laughs> all impacted and it's it's just like we all just lost a 320 pound weight mm-hmm. that was wrapped around our necks and that uh i mean everyone is just a little bit happier today there are still <laughs> For tons sure. of work to do well, yeah, there's, but there's a time where I was just thinking about, I saw some posts already about, yeah, but we still have blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know what? Take the time to celebrate because yeah, it's been I a have, long, can we have five minutes? It's been a please. long, it's been a long four years Yeah, and a lot of things have happened in those four years, a lot of negative things. It's okay to celebrate right now. And then I of hope course, so. just, yeah. just like when, um, you know, it, even in, within the speed, there is a bunch of work to do. There's a bunch of got to go in Georgia. Uh, got two a, runoffs in Georgia. Got to win them. Yep, yep. And there's a ton of different things that just need to, in order for the country itself to be able to move forward. Number one, being that we need to uh, get a hold of uh, the pandemic, and and do do what the science is telling us to do so that we can move past it. And and I, that's what I was just thinking about when you were talking about affecting the world, when the center of the pandemic is based in the United States and we, it keeps growing every single day at crazy rates. Yeah. That's the first priority on, on my mind. And that's the one thing that's affecting us day in and day out uh, as educators is that, that specific topic. So I'm super excited, like you just said, Feels like I can, uh, even when I clean today the house, I'm going to be <laughs> joyful cleaning. That's what it's going to be called. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, listen, congratulations, America. Yes. Um, thank you. <laughs> you we you, did it. You, you did it. Yes. Thank God. <laughs> it was um, close, but we did it. <laughs> and I'm so happy for you. Um, I am, um, we were talking about this before we went live. Um, I am addicted to opening up Pokemon card packs and I've literally got them all <laughs> sitting right in front of me, just staring at me, just waiting to be opened again. Uh, I, uh, I, I've been, I've been watching people on streams open them and I don't know why just pe- watching people open packages of cards is entertaining, that, that's but a it big, is. You that's should, a do, big you should thing do it sometime. YouTube. Yeah. That's a big thing. Opening and, things just in gen- general on YouTube. Those right. are some of the biggest channels. Yeah. <laughs> and um uh playing the trading card game online uh mm. so taking the key cards that you get from the card packs and and putting in the codes and getting the pokemon online and then playing the card game and i thought of you because you play hearthstone yes um, which is another card game and i figured you might be in into into pokemon um and playing that 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 card game as well. I don't know if you're into other card games. Yeah, no, I mean, 
I found Hearthstone fascinating because it reminded me of Magic the Gathering, which I played way too much and spent oh, wow. way too much money in college. Oh, yeah. Uh, just uh, doing kind of like what you're talking about, except, I mean, I never truly collected for the collection's sake. It was more like you were trying to get some of the more powerful, whatever, you know, cards um, that you can go ahead and get in packs. Um, and then Hearthstone is right up that alley. And then my sons, especially my youngest son, is super into Pokemon and taught myself and my father-in-law how to play. And he's so dang good. I, I mean, first of all, at teaching things, is really, really does a great job as far as walking us through how to play it. Um, but then just at the game itself, he's just like a destroyer. <laughs> oh, wow. It's like, so, he's like, sorry, pops. <laughs> Got to be able to... <laughs> I'm going to put all this damage onto you. Uh-huh. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a fun, super fun game. I didn't, I actually didn't know much about it. I knew the, of the concept of the game, but I never had um, played it much. And it's super fun. It's a very, yeah. very fun game. Um, uh, you know, we were talking before the, the show here. I was just saying it's very, the one thing that I find uh, interesting, but I haven't played enough games of it. So it maybe is not, not as, uh, uh, as doesn't happen as much is the draw mechanic in the game. It felt like very, like you had to draw the specific right cards, you know, in order to be able to um, do well in the game. So I just got to play more hours of it. <laughs> it's funny. I went through a game the other uh, day, I think it was last night where I, I didn't draw any energy cards mm. for like the first five or six rounds. And it's like, if you don't draw energy cards, you can't do anything. You're toast. Yes. Right. And yes. then, and then this morning I was playing and all that I needed to win was to draw uh, a Raichu so that I could evolve my Pokemon, my, my Pikachu. Yes. Uh, Cause the Raichu is, is super powerful. Um, and I was like just dying to get, and I'm like keep like cycling through draws and using my trainer cards that have yes. like free draws and stuff like that just to get this damn Raichu. And it was it was so I feel that I feel what you're talking about. I know exactly what you mean. Uh, the audience um, is but listening. Yeah, no, so if anyone wants to play trading card game online with me, send me a DM and we'll. Um, exchange whatever user id you need to exchange uh um but i'm into collecting the yeah so i i've been i've been setting aside like the rares and the secret rares and the the full Mm. hollow art and stuff like that ones and um i've probably spent about 350 dollars on cards in the Mm. last couple weeks um but i've i've easily made that in in the value of the cards Mm. that i've been able to i've been able to pull Including, I haven't pulled like the Charizard, so there's a the reason why. Okay, so do you know why this is popular again? Because there's like a there was like a flashpoint for this. No, Pokemon's always been popular. Yes, but um, and I hate to say who started it again because the (laughs) the person who got made it like take off again is is a loser. Um, but but it is what it is. It's uh, Jake Jake Paul. Um. Uh, the YouTuber who okay. is like a complete tool um, did did some videos where he was opening up Champions Path boxes um, to try to get the full art Hollow Charizard that's worth like a thousand dollars. And and he did. Um, and it's not a hard pull necessarily. It's just it's it's for some reason it's worth a ton of money. Yeah. Um, 
and and that became like a a flashpoint and now like if you go to any store right now and look for elite trainer boxes they're all sold out like you can't find them right now super popular yeah so i found a champion's path elite trainer box just like a week or so ago just randomly at a store and i was like do you have any idea what (laughs) this is worth like like i told them so there were two and so i told the cashier listen listen i said i said it super serious too i said it exactly like that i was like Listen. Okay, you've got to listen to me. <laughs> I'm buying one of these. They were $124 each. Well, I said, okay. I said I'm buying one of these. You, and I talked I was talking to her. I said, <laughs> "You need to buy this for yourself." Okay. You need to hide it right now so no one else can buy it. Okay. And then you need to go and put it on eBay. And, just and you, it, it was a college kid, and she was, yeah. I don't, and, and you will pay your rent next month. Because the Champions Path boxes are going for like five or $600 on eBay. Jeez. So I could have bought that box for 125 bucks and just sold just it sold on eBay for 600 bucks. Yeah. I didn't. I opened the cards. Yes. Um, but, but, you know, she didn't realize what she had. So I had to explain to her that this is the one of the hardest- did. <laughs> I, I was tempted if if it wasn't like a 20 minute drive to the mall that we were at, like that we found it at yeah i just go like i just don't want to get my i just don't go places anymore i don't know <laughs> <laughs> but i'd go back there and see if it's there um mm. so anyways i found an elite trainer box today at eb games uh sorry like it's gamestop gamestop is called eb games in canada sure um so i found an elite trainer box and i bought it and and all the cards are sitting in front of me because I'm going to open them hey. soon as we're done. <laughs> uh, so, oh, yeah, so Pokemon. <laughs> so I'll talk Pokemon with anybody. Uh, and and uh, it's been a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Yes. Um, you you have on here talking about a conversation on Twitter. Yes. Um, and the tweet says, this is super funny. Because I feel like this is like a way easier answer than it should be. Yeah. Uh, any any legitimate reason that teachers should not wear jeans on a regular basis? <laughs> I mean, isn't the answer just like no? Yeah. Is no, it I is d- it more complicated than that? No, it isn't. But it is at many schools. It is. There's all these dress code policies, especially with educators, uh, whether or not they could wear or can wear jeans. And sometimes it's limited to Fridays. And sometimes you have to pay a dollar or something like that Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to wear your jeans, all of which I find so dumb. Uh, so many well, they usually of... give the money to charity and stuff yeah, like that's that. True, so, but, I mean, uh... I don't, I don't, <laughs> I just, but the idea that, yeah. that clothes define your professionalism it's is it, is so 1975 yeah. that I just can't even. I just picked a random number. I don't know. <laughs> That's the year. I, I don't born. know what year that so is, <laughs> but it is so not 2020. Yeah, I added to the conversation, and I was just saying that um, when I started working, there was uh, dress code policies for the educators and the students. I mean, dress code policies for students do currently exist at most schools in the United States and but they have to do specifically with not wearing anything that has to do obviously with drug and alcohol references or any type of hate messages uh, which all makes sense uh, but then some schools also extend it out to how much clothing you know especially i think a lot of um 
of our uh, females, as far as in our schools, have a lot more dress code policies that govern what they actually wear, which is a different conversation, but along kind of the same lines. And even like what I'm wearing right now, you are wearing too, hoodies. Hoodies are so, (laughs) putting your hood on is so... um, it's is on so many dress code policies about against it, like being able to put your hood up as far as a student. Because your brain changes as soon as you put the <laughs> cloth over your head, you yes. don't think the same, Glenn. Mm-hmm. I mean, the sorry, so the waves <laughs> get blocked. I do have to be some fab- kind of science. By the fabric, yeah. And then your head stops working. That's why you can't wear the hood. <laughs> and I think I'm it has to do. You don't, I'm surprised you don't know this. I, I haven't read honest. up on that science. I thought it had to do Man. supposedly with safety stuff or whatever. I have no idea. It It's silly. I Actually, this school that I work at right now is the first school that I have ever worked at that allowed students, high school students, to wear hats. And when I saw kids in the halls wearing hats, baseball caps and, um, you know, winter caps, whatever, you know, all kinds of different things. Um, and I saw them wearing, I'm like, oh, what's going on? It must have been hat day or something like that, you know, because that's what they had at, hat day. My, at different schools that I've been at. Like during homecoming, there was one day that was a hat day. You could actually wear hats. Uh, but no, this you, they have actually allowed it. And you know what, everybody that's listening out there, it hasn't changed anything <laughs> Um, discipline wise at all <laughs> it doesn't matter it doesn't matter it, the kids are kids and letting you wear a hat or not wear a hat or your hoodie or whatever it might be has zero effect on the education that's actually happening in the school so just so everybody knows that out there but anyway for the jeans thing there's a lot of things that govern it and at that first school not only um there was some specific rules for the kids but there was also for the teachers and you had to mike if you wore uh, any kind of shirt, even a t-shirt, it had to be tucked in to your to your pants. Right. Imagine that rule. And then the other one, the other stupid rule was I had a bunch of, I think during that time I was into wearing uh, little polo shirts with like Nike symbols or a college uh, football team or whatever it might be, like a symbol, you know what I mean? On on an icon symbol on the polo shirt. Yeah. Um, couldn't wear those. Can't wear anything that has any kind of um, logo, whether it was a corporate logo or whether yeah. it was even a school logo. Like one day I got in trouble, Mike. I had bought this shirt. I just liked it because I liked the color, to be honest with you. And I, I did like the logo. It was the Stanford Cardinal uh, red shirt with the logo that had the big S with the yeah. well, kind of a tree. They have a yeah. little tree uh, as, their, in, as their- in, in trouble. I had to- go home and remove it, put on a different shirt because of the Stanford logo. That's how silly. Sorry, you were a teacher? Yeah. It was my first year teaching. Isn't that incredible? An adult. Yes. A grown adult. (laughs) Well, I was 23. I don't know how grown I was. And you got sent home. (laughs) Yeah. For poor behavior. Yeah. Isn't that that super weird? Like the things that we get obsessed about, that's what we've talked about on different shows. Yeah. But this is one of those things. Can teachers wear uh, jeans or should they be able to wear jeans every single day or whatever they actually want? Yes. Obviously, wear whatever you want. You know, Uh, everybody has different styles and different things that they enjoy wearing, different comfort levels, you know, on things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, I just bought some new jeans. I know this is probably not a good time. And I haven't tell bought us, tell jeans. Tell us about the new jeans. Glenn. I haven't bought jeans in 10 years, everybody. 
That's funny. But my waist size has has changed. Let's just let's just put it that way. Oh boy! <laughs> so it's anyway, all that bought, candy you eat. Yes, I bought these new jeans, and why didn't anybody tell me that jeans have changed so much and they're so much more comfortable? They're they way some, better now. They have some kind of uh, uh, elasticy features, and they're so much like more. They feel like uh, seriously, they feel like jogging pants. Um, and I know this is an educational podcast, but everybody. Thank, if you haven't bought new jeans, jeans is what is saying. <laughs> Go buy jeans. They're amazing. And I'm going to wear them every day to work. I, and I And I wear different kinds of things. I wear like a dress shirt with a tie and jeans. I mean, that's a weird combination. You know, most people probably don't do that. But that, you know, that's what I like. I like to wear some things like that. Sometimes I wear polo shirts, you know, with the school's um, uh, mascots and whatever it might be. Storm. Storm gear. Yes. <laughs> so anyway... Um, really weird. I hate that that exists. We should move beyond that. I, it's I was thinking I, Come on, I everybody. couldn't, I couldn't work in that environment because I barely wear pants these days. <laughs> so you're wearing shorts almost every day. It's cause you, you get to work from we'll home. We'll call now. that shorts. Okay. Yes. <laughs> thanks, thanks for that visual, Mike. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> I so, guess that's, that's enough on this jeans story. There. And I am, I am a professional. Yes. yes some you would are. say, some would say. <laughs> you're, and, you're, uh, you are a professional. And, 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 yeah. And, and you get I, to wear whatever you want. Yes. Yeah. I listen, I, I, um, I wake up and I sit at my desk and, uh, <laughs> it, it doesn't change you know anything about you know my professionalism no what i'm wearing not or at all <laughs> not wearing um so agreed <laughs> so dumb i know so stupid that we just spent 10 minutes on this I but know. also but i did get to very, tell you guys about my jeans that i just yes, bought yes we got the story of glenn's <laughs> wardrobe which is you know really that it, like if that's the price we paid to have to get that story then i'm <laughs> it was worth it Right, that's what I'm here for. It was a hundred percent. That's what I'm here for. So, um, listen, oh if you're God. a school administrator and you're forcing your educators to wear or Whatever. not wear certain clothing, just stop. Stop. It's really stupid. Yeah, you have lots of more important things to do than care about what the hell your teachers are wearing. Um, <laughs> so, stop it. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure everyone's listening and doing exactly. I know. Now they're like, okay, we'll stop. Well, Mike told me. <laughs> And he doesn't wear pants, so. <laughs> so, um, okay, there's a lot of interesting ed tech stories. Yes. Um, and it's funny, we're going to talk to Audrey Waters, who yes. is going to hate that we're talking about all of this stuff because, she, you know, because she's Audrey Waters. Yeah. Um, but um, nevertheless. Yes, uh, we're still going to do it. <laughs> it's our podcast, Audrey. Yes. You can't tell us what to do. You can't tell me what to do anytime, though, that being said. Um, lots of... Actually, actually, she might like this. There are lots of really cool stories, stories, you know, happening. And we're going to actually talk about another cool young entrepreneur in a few minutes, or, or at least this entrepreneur's product. But a lot of stories of kids doing really cool stuff in, like, the education space, in the ed tech space, um, you know, and... Um, and tell us tell us about this this story that came across your your screen here the other day. Um, so there is a, a high school student who basically was super frustrated by the lack of an organization, and probably everybody agrees that's an educator out there 
a lack of a place where we can just search for the perfect edtech tool that fits a specific solution or have a variety of them that just spits them out at us. There's so many different things out there. Like um, there's blogs that have been written about things. I know Common Sense Media each year puts out, you know, their top ed tech things that we've talked about on the show. There's podcasts like us. We've talked about ed tech tools that that we really feel are powerful and that are must haves. Um, there's the bests on YouTube. Yes, on there's the best on education's we, yeah, YouTube we, channel. The best hashtag marketing. <laughs> Carry on. And, and we did that, and we've done some things like that. But if someone just needs to, by someone I mean an educator or a student needs a specific tool, uh, this student was basically saying, "Why don't we have a Netflix of online learning? Just basically, I can go to this place, like an Amazon too. I think they do they do an amazing job." And I search by what I, you know, a a specific category, and then it continues to break that category down till I have a set of choices that I can go ahead and go explore. And so she took it upon herself and basically used a, a website that had a kind of like a database functionality inside of it and started basically creating it herself. And started putting together some of these things to cut, to say, okay, we have all of these different tools. What category does it fit into? Um, you know, it, and we've talked about this, Mike, too. Uh, one of the reasons why it, it, it kind of semi-related to this, not about an ed tech tool, but just about educational lesson plans. The, one of the reasons why Teachers Pay Teachers is so popular yeah, is truly they do an amazing job on you easily being able to search for a keyword search, search, search engine, whatever they, their search engine is amazing. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, I, I have to give them that because it quickly gets you not only what you're looking for, but what other people have said has worked for yeah. them. Yep. Now, there's all kinds of things that are broken within it itself, but wouldn't that be awesome? And that's what the student was basically doing is she was like, wouldn't it be great? She invested $19 to host the website and it's called elearn.fyi. And it's a data ber- database sorry, of more than 300 online learning tools. And it's categorized by grade level subject. And it would be amazing if it was um, even one step further is the part that I thought of too, is where we were able to give reviews on those, you know, kind of the ups, the positives and the not so positives of being able to do that. And I know that some places do exist, but there's not just this one place, the Netflix the, the Amazon. The Netflix of ed tech. Of ed tech, where we can just Ugh. go look, find the stuff, give, have five different options, and then be able to go ahead and quickly, you know, apply, you know, go search out, oh, this might actually work yeah. for this specific thing. So congrats to this student who is just amazing. Her name is Sophia Jaffe, and she was in 11th grade. And she's right from right around you, Mike. She's in the Toronto area. So great job, Sophia. Students are amazing, innovative. They find solutions to things. Yeah, I, it, it just made me happy just reading that uh, that story. Nice. And so we've interviewed um, another great yes. young ed tech entrepreneur who is no longer like doing this as a student, but no. the CEO 
Um, so, so one of our very first interviews, like uh, probably five or six, maybe seven or eight in, uh, we interviewed um, what's his name from Gimkit, Josh, Josh, Josh from Gimkit, yes, yep. and uh, Gimkit has has taken off, right? Oh my goodness, it's it, it is. He's doing so well with it. You know, it started off basically he, you know, even in our interview with him uh, at the beginning of this podcast, basically a few years ago, we were interviewing him and and all he wanted was a better solution to a quiz type show than Kahoot. And we just had a conversation about Kahoot and the billion dollar valuation or whatever it was some ungodly number of of their valuation and he wanted a better solution to that and him and one of his teachers basically put together this uh company product and developed the whole entire thing from the ground up and now they have a newer feature one of the things he he has been posting about on social media was that he was forced into a specific type of writing when he was uh, in school and so hmm. he eventually hated writing. He hated the that writing had so many conventions around it. So in other words, like things like the five paragraph essay and so on and so forth. He understood that there was a reason for that type of writing at times, but it also took away from just creatively writing or writing for different purposes. Um, blog posts, those types of things. I don't not think whenever you not worrying about a grade. Yeah, exactly. Or just writing in general to improve on that craft. And yeah. then to continue to grow it. And so what he's done is he created a subset of GimKit that you get with the GimKit subscription. So you get this also. And it's called, called GimKit Inc. And I've yes. went through and explored it and played around with it. And you know what? The, be the best part, two best parts. One, it's super simple to use. Number two, it allows you to go in whatever direction you want to go ahead and take your writing without any of the conventions there to tell you you're doing something wrong. So it just lets you, it's a great way to just get writing, uh, pushing out writing. And you know too, huh. Mike, as, as a person that writes, you know, blog posts and, and your book, the most important part about writing and the biggest, the hardest part is just getting started with the freaking write. Just Sit down and then don't feel writing like writing is have, hard, man. Writing yeah. is writing is super hard. Don't have don't feel like something is is inhibiting you and pushing you in a direction. Instead of thinking too much, it's just pushing stuff out there, you know, putting that out there on on the computer or on pencil or uh, paper, sorry. And and then and just producing that and then eventually turning that into a crafted piece, whether it be a blog post or, or an essay you're submitting or whatever it is, or just, just the, just writing in general, just being able to do that. And I, as I read through his story and the reasons why he came up with GimKit Inc., I was yeah. like, I can see the reason why you would want to use this yeah, and yeah, yeah. as a teacher in any content area, any grade level. Super easy to get started. Super easy for the kid to share with you, or to share, a, you know, uh, by publicly. I mean, uh, you can share publicly, but not really publicly within your classroom you know, to all their other classmates if they wanted to. Um, and and just a, a, a way to be able to do that without a whole bunch of restrictions, but with some guidance towards a specific thing. So, I have uh, from I got a. Uh, three access codes, early access codes from no. GimKit Inc. Yes. And I have used one of them for myself. I got a personal invite code, 
but they've also given me three different codes that I can give away to any of our listeners. And what do we want them to do, Mike, to be able to get one of those uh, access? Because we'll just DM them to you. So, yeah. So yeah. Glenn is going to DM you an access code. And all you have to do is we we haven't asked for Apple podcast reviews in quite a while, probably yes. a year. Um, so, you know, it's nice to get some new ones in there. So all that you got to do my friends yes is is clickety clack over to apple podcasts <laughs> and speaking of writing write yes. write us a review yes um if you're listening um and what we'll do glenn will do this because i can't actually believe it or not as a canadian <laughs> i i can't actually see the us podcast store oh, I know. you reviews. can't yeah so so any of the reviews that i see are from canadians mm -hmm. and then glenn sees the ones from americans so we'll look and see if there are any recent ones we'll take all those names as long as you make it obvious who you are in the review or send glenn a screenshot sure. of your review by dm and then we'll um we'll send you a code we'll pick a people we'll pick a few people and send you a code let's do it Yes. Let's do it. Yeah. Get out there. Write us a review. That would be amazing. Smash um, that review button. Can and, we say and, that? And you're going to really like this. Uh, just this yeah. different take on Gimkit. I just love that he was like, he's again, he's like, I I don't like the way Kahoot works. It's too repetitive. I'm going to invent something else. He did. I didn't like the way that uh, I was forced into these conventions to writing. I want something different. He created that. I mean, this kid... Is ridiculous. We got to have him back on the show too, so just, we'll have to just go we'll and to... you just go and do it. Yes, <laughs> which is awesome. It's a great, it's a great lesson. It's a super great lesson. Great lesson. Um, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> God, <laughs> thanks, Captain Obvious. Um, yep. And I'll tell you, um, we just we just finished talking about Pokemon a few minutes ago. Um, but gaming in general has been really good for me to like get my mind off of you know the you know nonsense mm -hmm. that is going on, and um, I think it's helped. Like like I sorry, so I've been streaming on Twitch. Yes. Um, for example, um, up over three hundred followers on Twitch on my personal Twitch there channel. Go uh, Twitch TV slash Mr Washburn hashtag marketing. Um, <laughs> go over there and follow me. I stream um, three or four nights a week. <laughs> yes, um, but I think gaming has been good for everybody. Um, it's been that bright spot, and I mean it's. It's it's been great that we've had games. I think in particular there are two games that have really like encapsulated what we needed from gaming in the shittiest year in the history of all years. <laughs> um so we're talking about Fall Guys and Among Us. Yes. Thank God. Thank God for Fall Guys and Among Us, right? Yeah. They're super popular, but not just with kids. That's what's no, amazing. I love about them it. both. Yeah, they're popular with it's the the barrier to entry is very low. Number one, so you can come in, you can start figuring out stuff, and yet uh, 
They both have an aspect of like high level gaming, high level thinking. Um, and I, I was even thinking about, you know, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her playing Among Us and it being such a humongous Gigantic. stream uh, of people watching her play. And uh, you know what I was seeing in her eyes and in her and what she was talking about is and in it, it, just in her actions joy, was joy. That's it. Yeah. You know, when um, Michael Matera talks about in some and sometimes in his uh, uh, presentations that he gives or his uh, his keynote addresses, and he talks about basically that this there's this aspect that we miss a lot just in teaching in general. And that's yeah. why he's he's so uh, keen on gamification uh, in his classes is just this aspect of let's feel joy let's try to harness that and bring that out and that's what you could see in that stream and that's what you can see obviously with us we laugh and crack up when we're playing whatever it is that we're doing mm -hmm. um and that obviously you know it says in this article here from the wall street journal it was already the gaming industries were already a multi-billion dollar industry it's like we found this whole new group of people that said, oh, I never knew that there was all of these games that fit, you know, what I want to get out of a game. You know, uh, who would have thought gaming could be for everybody? Yeah. And it really is. I mean, it people really are is. playing Animal Crossing, people that are uh, playing first person shooters that for the first time or people that are just playing these silly games like Fall Guys and Among Us, which is such an awesome, super fun game. Uh, like I said, low barrier to entry types of games yeah. and anybody can play them. And you could talk about it with anybody from my father-in-law, um, uh, grandparents, uh, obviously to my kids, to my, like, my little eight-year-old and all of them being able to have these conversations about Minecraft and Among Us and whatever else it might be and, and be able to share in that, like we just talked about, in that joy it's freaking pretty awesome, especially for two big nerds like me and you that love <laughs> games. It's great to see other people kind of join in and be able Finally to- Finally catching on. To catch on, yes, catch on to that. So very, very cool. We'll make sure we share this uh, Wall Street Journal article because it's really a great read. It's, um, you know, it's it's been the worst year and a really interesting kind of, I'm not going to say it's been a good year, but there's been like these weird <laughs> shining moments and- Yes. And 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 the emergence, um, the emergence of gaming as something that everyone has realized is special and meaningful um, is really a really neat outcome of 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 a of a pretty terrible year. So so that's awesome. When we come back, I'm so excited. I, I got a chance to talk yes. to Audrey Waters before the election. Ooh. And we're going to have her next, so stay with us. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Our guest this week is a freelance writer who's appeared in The Atlantic, Vice, Huffington Post, Edutopia, among many other sites. She's the author of five books with another on the way and best known as the author of the Hack Education blog. And I'm so excited to have Audrey Waters on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. Uh, anytime you want to come talk with us, you have an open invitation. You just slide into my DMs and it's done. <laughs> um, I was just telling you before we went on 
live that I I love reading. First off, you write so wonderfully. Um, it's it's you know it's a craft, obviously, and and you do it so well. Um, even when you're like dropping bombs, um, <laughs> the writing itself is phenomenal, and so I. I I enjoy it thoroughly, even if I disagree with you, which is not very often. Uh, I find the writing is fantastic, and and so I have some things I'd love to unpack from stuff you've written over the last little while. And here, this is a great quote from you: "Education technology as a field and ideology sits right at that overlap, but appears to be mostly unwilling to recognize its role in the devastation." It prefers to be heralded as a savior. Too many of its advocates refuse to truly examine the ways in which ed tech makes things worse or admit that the utopia they've long peddled has become a hellscape of exploitation and control for a great deal of the people laboring in, with, and under its systems. Like, there is just so much there. I don't even know if I have a question other than I would just love to unpack all of that. I think I think there's a huge theme going on with a bunch of the stuff that you're thinking lately just related to this not being necessarily as good as we all thought it was going to be. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I think if you think about the history of um, a lot of ed tech, particularly um, since the advent of the personal computer, the the teachers, individual teachers at, at the outset, really had to be out advocates, uh, cheerleaders to get technology mm-hmm. in the classroom, right? It was yeah. an uphill battle. And so I think um, for a long time, it was an uphill battle. And the, I think that for a long time, people were really just wanted to be evangelists for ed tech. Um, there wasn't a lot of space in one's, um, uh, there wasn't a lot of space to sort of be critical of ed tech because that's what everyone else was was doing, was pushing back and saying, no, schools don't need to spend all this money on technology. Um, but I think that that's really the mindset of 30, 40, 50 years ago, 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think things are different now. I think that obviously politically, financially, um, things have changed. Um, technology companies, education technology companies are incredibly powerful and they no longer need to have evangelists, although they still hire them. Um, and I think that it's time to really reflect, not just sort of did, has ed tech worked, whatever we decide that that means or not worked, but what if it's made things worse? And yeah. I, I think that there are a lot of ways in which we can look at what's happening right now, um, which is obviously a crisis where, you know, we're operating in a crisis um, scenario. Multiple, in fact. Yeah. But I think that, <laughs> you know, I think that certainly at the very least ed tech is not a silver bullet, right? It, yeah. has, it has not been the thing that has sort of fixed everything, right? This seems like where smart boards came from. Right. I, and we might have talked about this a little bit the last time. This is my one of my favorite punching bags. But this seems like it was like, no, 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 no. You want this. And it did it did nothing very little for the classroom. Um, yet everyone has a twenty thousand dollar smart board in their classroom. Yeah. I mean, it was one of those great examples of, I think, where where no one or very few educators said, 
wow, what I really need right now is um, this giant piece of technology to take up like a significant chunk of my wall space, uh, whiteboard space even, um, uh, for activities that may or may not have been better done on the projector, for things that may or may not have been better done uh, just with a with a whiteboard. Um, but yeah, right. schools spent a, a ton of money and really a technology that um, wasn't going to change the way in which people taught because it was really was designed as sort of the teacher at the front of the class. So replicating, um, you know, replicating kinds of technologies that maybe now we would want to sort of ask better questions about with getting students more involved in their learning. There is a good argument to make for the idea that educational technology has made things worse. I can see that being a case you could make. What What's a good example of that? I, I think there's a couple, but I, I'd love to hear from you what you think are some of the prime contributors to how education technology may have made education worse. Um, in some ways, I think, I mean, I think that there are lots of things that we can, we can talk about. I think that um, one of the things is I think that because schools are spending so much money on education technology, what they're doing is they're outsourcing, um, and particularly public schools, they're outsourcing really a core part of their mission um, teaching, <laughs> really, um, to for-profit companies um, and that really don't have, I think, a commitment to democratic principles, obviously, um, don't even have commitment to paying their taxes. Um, so I think that really it's, it's, it's shifting. It's, it, it's a way that I think um, is undermining public education by giving so much power uh, to these technology companies. I mean, if you look at what's happening right now, too, it's like, it's as though it's as though we can't even imagine another way of education happening right now than through technology. Like there's just we have such a we've sort of the these tech companies have sort of colonized the way in which we imagine um, imagine school happening, and I think that that's uh, I think that that's potentially really damaging. When you look at some of the other things that we could talk about, which is um, algorithmic bias, for example, or privacy invasions, or mm. um, the, the ways in which I think some of the inequalities that we see in education already being exacerbated by ed tech, right? Giving everybody yeah. computers doesn't mean that everybody gets better, faster, smarter, <laughs> you know? And is able to do computational thinking, like right. even though you have the device that is right. in theory meant to be the guide for that. I mean, I think we see, you know, I think that research shows that oftentimes when affluent students are, are given devices, they do very different things with these devices or they're allowed, I should say they're allowed to do very different things with these devices, um, more creative computational work than students who are given devices that are really used to do drill and kill. Um, and uh, I think devices that are often perpetuating some of the surveillance and policing aspects of school. It, it's funny. Some of the things you said that just there made me think of something we talked about on the podcast. I think it was even, well, not last week, but two weeks ago, uh, about a, a tweet I saw where someone said, we've only been doing like modern education in the way that we think of modern education for maybe a couple hundred years at like at the most, like my great, great, great grandfathers didn't go to like school the way that we think of school now. And like the history of humanities, you know, long citation required. Um 
you know, so we we think we know all of these things, but we 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 really don't in like this like grand scheme of things know the impact of some of the decisions we're making, and we already think we're unwill like we're unwilling to think outside the box to use a really terrible term, but it's like we've already set our ways um, uh, that we should be teaching and learning because we, we have all of these devices now and it's like, yeah, we're good to go. Um, yeah, I think that It that's seems what's... like we're, we're resistant already and it's like we barely know anything. I think that that's what's so, um, what's so interesting about technologies is for a long time, you know, back to these sort of cheerleaders for tech in the 80s, um, they, they argued that this tech computers were going to change everything. Um, mm. But I think what we see happening is actually l most often computers and digital technologies just replicate what was already happening, right? And so instead of worksheets, you do digital worksheets. Um, instead of writing an essay by hand, you write an essay in a word processing software. Um, and I think what's, but furthermore, some of the other things I think get even harder to change once they are literally in, in code, right? So, you know, the, we could, we think about the, the classroom that the, um, interactive whiteboard was sort of imagined with a teacher at the front. It's pretty easy as a teacher. I mean, I guess depending on your school, but it's fairly easy to move the chairs in a classroom. You can mm -hmm. pick them up, you can rearrange them. Not everybody has to be in a bunch of rows, but it gets a lot harder to rearrange the digital chairs, if you will, in software because most of us are programmers, right? So you're, we're kind of stuck with the way in which our sort of this is a metaphor here. Our chairs are arranged, our classrooms are arranged when we use technology. We just don't have the same amount of flexibility. And if we want to say, listen, this isn't student-centered at all, um, teachers know how to make some changes in their in their teaching, in, their, in the physical architecture of their class, in their practices. Right. But it gets a lot harder when you kind of have this other system, this encoded system sort of, you know, put down on onto your classroom it's it's just harder it's harder to change i got it i went into the weeds on this one i i i read this article and then i just went off for like an hour reading a whole bunch of other things uh thorndike won and dewey lost you can't understand the history of education unless you realize this i don't think you can understand the history of education technology without realizing this either and I'd go one step further. You cannot understand the history of education technology in the United States during the 20th century and on to the 21st unless you realize that Seymour Papert lost and B.F. Skinner won. Like, my head exploded when I read that. And I think what you're saying here, I don't want to put words in your mouth, so I, I, ed tech is more like Skinner than Papert. Oh, yeah. Is basically what we're saying. And... It's funny because if you go to any ed tech conference, they're basically trying to convince you the opposite. Oh, for sure. It, it, se it seems to me. And so dive into that because, man, oh, man, that's it's a bombshell, to be honest. And when people if you if you go into it and, and dig into what you're saying there, it's a revelation, to be honest. Yeah, oh, let me start with the first part, the the Thorndike, uh, Thorndike one, Dewey lost. That's a quote by uh, education historian um, Ellen uh 
Conflict Lagerman. And she, you know, I think that what she's saying is that the, the vision that Edward Thorndike had, he was a professor at Columbia. Um, he was a behaviorist. Um, he did a lot of experiments on animals and then used that to extrapolate experiments or um, about learning. Um, he's the, where the phrase, the learning curve came from, right? Mm-hmm. That's how long it takes a mouse to sort of figure out the maze in order to get out. Uh, to, to be able to replicate the maze and get to the food. Um, and so Dewey, of course, had a very different vision. Dewey was not in the lab. Dewey was interested in the community. Um, he was interested in school as a, a, as a democratic practice. Um, he was interested um, in progressive, um, uh, progressive education and a lot of political, politically progressive work in Chicago at the time. And really his vision, although I think it's, it is a vision that I think is probably very near and dear to the hearts of many educators, right? We, we talk about inquiry-based learning or project-based learning yeah. as being sort of, again, we trace this back to Dewey, but the predominant, the predominant sort of model of schooling is much more like Thorndike. It is much more about standardized testing, um, assessments and, and, you know, um, measuring, measuring students numerically and char- and charting and charting them that way sure. then it is about growth and growth tied i think to democracy um hmm. and skinner of course was also a behaviorist probably the best known behaviorist and really was sort of in that legacy of of thorndike right beginning to work on it with animals and then making the leap from how animals learned or how animals could be taught to how children could be taught and developing technologies that would um that would train uh that would train pigeons um, and then train children. And that's really the origins, I think, of contemporary ed tech is a lot of it is behaviorism. And if you, um, if you think about behaviorism, it, it really is sort of rewarding for good behavior, um, breaking things down into very incremental steps. I, I have a, a little side note. I, I, we just adopted a puppy. So I'm in the process of, of training my puppy. And that's, <laughs> this is how you train a, this is, is how you train a dog. Exactly how you train right? a dog. <laughs> you don't beat the dog. You reward the dog with treats when the dog does the right thing. Um, right. you give them immediate feedback, right? If the yeah. dog, if the dog sits, you say yes. And you, you give, you give her a treat. And so this is, you know, this is how, and you know, I, I'm okay with treating my dog this way i'm i'm less right. <laughs> much less um certain that we should be train uh teaching treating students treating children uh treating one another uh this way but that's i think that that is really the the the, the technologies that grew out of thorndike are skinnerism um and again i think although the the kinds of things that Papert talked about um, were, I think, are very, uh, very well, probably more aligned with Dewey, right? About the project-based learning, about hands-on experimentation, about um, the construction of knowledge by doing something meaningful. Idealistic, even. Yeah, that's Papert. Yeah, but that's 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 not what our school system is. I mean, I think when I say they won, I mean, I think that we should, you know, we've got to fight back. I don't think that this is sort of like conclusive. There's nothing we can do. All hope is gone. Um, We're stuck with standardized testing and we're stuck with, you know, operant conditioning ed tech for the end till the end of time. Um, But I think we do need to realize that most of the stuff that we, uh, most of the stuff that we do um, is is very behavioristic. At the risk of hurting my feelings, maybe. (laughs) is the way I'd say it. Is this 
is this what gamification is like yes. like we're yeah okay it is right like the gamification is, totally is, is skinner right it is it is very much skinner yeah i mean i think a lot of the a lot of the te- technologies that we use today and it's interesting i think you know that could go off on a whole sort of tangent about the sort of amnesia that many people in tech seem to have about anything um, to do with the past a lot of folks wouldn't tie this to skinner um but i think that it is it is very much connected to Skinner. Again, you get rewarded. We want to reward positive behavior, immediate feedback. Um, that that is absolute operant conditioning. And it's the hard thing. It's a bit like my, training my puppy. It, it, what if it works? And then we have to say, well, that's great. My my dog has excellent behavior. Um, but again. Um, Humans, I believe, should have agency. They should have free will um, and freedom. Uh, Skinner didn't believe in any of that. And so when we build these systems in which that are committed to engineering people, to training people in certain ways, that's, that's, a, that's a political, um, not just a technological, not just a pedagogical decision. That's a political decision. And I think, again, that's, that's not Dewey. That's not building a democratic, that's not building democratic practices. That's someone who thinks they know what good outcomes should be deciding Mm -hmm. who's the winner. It's tough because I think that I I don't think of myself as a Skinnerite. I don't know what those people are referred to as. And I am definitely um, a giant fan of Seymour Papert. Um, So maybe I'm one. And I mean, I am fully willing to admit that sometimes I might be one of those dudes that is at a conference talking like Papert, but then, you know, I'm also really into gamification and game-based learning, and I understand that those so, are about motivation and, and in uh, external rewards and, you yeah. know, that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm trying to square the, the conflict in my, in my head with this. I think that, you know, I think that we could, we might be able to think about game-based learning as being different than gamification. Yeah, I think okay, game, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that there is something about play and creati- creativity that um, aren't necessarily the same as the sort of um, point systems or sure. rewards. No, or, yes, you know, and those two are pellets. two totally different things, gamification yeah, and game-based games get, learning. Games get really dull if that's... If that's all they are, right? Yeah. The, uh, there's a Georgia Tech um, professor, Ian Bogos, who made a Facebook game back way back <laughs> when Farmville was popular. He made a game called Cow Clicker, which was just to sort of point out how silly gamification was. That really the whole point was you just you just click on the cow. Yeah, uh, it doesn't do anything. There's no, you know, but the. Um, that that kind of stuff gets really that's really dull, and even you know that's not a game. That's that's a pigeon. That is a Skinnerian pigeon just going for the food pellet. That's, yeah. that's not that's not play. Pigeons aren't playing. It's true. It's true. Um, and listen, you're writing a whole book about this that I now like I am so excited to talk about and to hear more about. Tell us more about teaching machines. Yeah, the book will be out um, next year, uh, provided we're all still around then. <laughs> oh, God. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's coming out by, um, from MIT Press. And I wanted to tell the history of ed tech, but not talk about um, contemporary technology. I think it's one of the problems that um, I often find with 
histories of ed tech, which is sometimes you'll get a survey class like this in, in you know, if you're doing a, a graduate work in education, that's sort of a history of ed tech. And it sort of starts with the horn book, um, you know, hundreds, thousands of years ago, and then crams in everything all the way up to the latest app, um, the latest, you know, app that was released last week. And it gets really hard to, to talk about anything in detail. And the other part of that is it always that kind of history always seems like something replaced something old because that thing didn't work. And I'm not sure that that's how technology is. I don't think that that's how ed tech work. I don't, I don't think that somehow ed tech was really bad, um, you know, uh, in the early 1900s. And now ed tech is really amazing. Um, I think it's still mostly pretty awful. Um, so I wanted to tell a story of, of teaching machines, which of course were, um, B.F. Skinner is the best known um, inventor of a teaching machine. He wasn't the first, but he's the best known. And I wanted to show the ways in which I think a lot of ed tech that we talk about today is really based in ideas that are over 100 years old. Um, This idea of personalization, which is something that uh, tech executives in particular, reformers like Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg, seem to think that personalization is this silver bullet that's going to fix what's wrong with our what's wrong with our education system. Um, I wanted to trace the history of where it came from um, and talk about it again without talking about the latest and greatest technologies, because that's what that's what Skinner thought he was doing. He thought he was personalizing education. And then I'm hoping that, you know, we can sort of ask questions then, like, is personalization then behaviorism? Um, what and if if again, like I said earlier, if if B.F. Skinner didn't believe in freedom, if he didn't believe in free will, um, then what does it mean that that's the kind of learning that we're adopting um, that we're adopting for schools? Amazing! I, I can't wait to read it, and we'll have you on again when uh, it, it comes out because it, it sounds absolutely amazing. Um, it, you've alluded to the chance that we <laughs> that the t- today's November second. Um, so we're we're talking on the eve of the election um, in the United States. Uh, I'm a Canadian, so um, I, I'm you jealous. Know, <laughs> yes, I, I hear that often. To be honest, uh, I, and I work for an American company, uh, so so all of my coworkers uh, are nervous, and all of my friends, a lot of my friends are are nervous. Everybody is nervous uh i'm curious on a scale of like one to ten how nervous are you oh like a 24 yeah yeah let's talk about tomorrow what do we feel like is gonna happen tomorrow uh i think that in most places where people have not voted early um which is still you know, I, well, I should back up and say more people have already voted in this right. election than voted in 2016, which is incredible. Um, and so I think that it's an indication that there's a great interest, uh, a, a huge, a potentially huge turnout, uh, largest turnout perhaps um, in history, which is exciting because democracy only works when, um, yeah, when people are. are when people have their voice, have their voice heard. Mm-hmm. Um, so tomorrow, though, I think that, unfortunately, I think that in many places, there's going to be uh, violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's going to be intimidation 
Um, and I think that the president is, uh, I think the president is going to do anything he can to sow confusion and hatred as he has done for the past four plus years, um, and make people doubt what's happening, um, make people doubt the results of the election. I, I, I don't know what that's going to look like. I, yeah. I don't know that what that's going to look like in terms of how law enforcement is going to respond. Um, I don't know what that's going to look like in terms of how the courts are going to respond. Um, in both cases, those are his allies um, and not and will not follow necessarily follow the will of the people. So I think it's I think it's going to be a huge crisis for this country, no matter the outcome. Um, no matter what happens tomorrow. And I don't think we'll know the results for a few more days, mm -hmm. um, at least. And then we have to see if Trump decides to drag things out legally. Um, and then we'll have to see what, if he loses or if he wins, what, what he does to, to punish, um, yeah. to punish the country. And I think that that's, it's just a, you know, again, it's, it comes back to this idea of like sort of Thorndike, Thorndike won, Dewey lost. I think that, um, you know, the, the democratic institutions in this, in the U.S. are under a great attack. Um, and schools are one of them. Um, the election system is obviously one of them as well. But I think it's, I think it's a, I think it's a terrible time for this country. And I think my heart really goes out to any, teacher and parent and student right now um, trying to navigate navigate this moment, particularly mm -hmm. with so much trauma, um, trauma over what we've experienced the last six, seven, eight months, and then fear about the future. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, we, we talk about politics on this podcast, uh, and most education podcasts won't touch it um you know so i think much it's so weird school uh, is political like I, I i don't understand i i really don't understand that yeah um there's there's school is a political institution um we are political beings we're political bodies um school is a democratic institution it, to pretend like school is not political um, means, well, I mean, I think it means that you actually have to um, silence a lot of people's rights, a lot of people's um, identity. Um, and I think that, again, it's part of the reason that I think our institutions are in trouble is because schools, schools that pretend that they're not pretend that they aren't political, I think are probably, probably doing a great disservice to the students and teachers and communities that they purport to serve. We agree completely. Um, yeah, I, I think our numbers would be higher if we were, you know, rainbows and sunshine, um, all the time, like, like other folks. Um, but we, we just, it's, it's just not the reality. Um, and, and that's why we talk to you about, you know, ed tech and how it's not all amazing. And we talk about politics and I, I, I want to have one last kind of interesting speculative conversation a little bit about it relates to elections. So let's say, fingers crossed, Biden wins. Um, and so now we have this incredible opportunity to to do, uh, I mean, obviously, a lot of things have to get 
kind of rebuilt, for lack of better words. I, I mean, maybe we should start with um, reinstating some sort of a, um, a pandemic task force, how about? But we also have to, basically, I said this to someone just the other day, that the, the DOE in particular needs a pretty major house cleaning, um, you know, immediately uh, when, when uh, at, in January. Um, and I, I saw this tweet come across, I think it was yesterday, maybe the day before, about who the next education secretary may or may not be. And this interesting conversation about it not being someone who is the president of a school union, a teacher's union. And I'm, and I'm curious if you have any thoughts on, like, because I guess some of the contenders for, you know, education secretary are presidents of teachers unions. Um, and this person was opposed to it. Uh, what do you think about the next education secretary being a teacher, first off? Um, and then um, what do you think the requisite skills or background of that educator maybe should be? That's a great question. Um, it's actually probably one of the few places in which I disagreed with the person I supported in the primary, which was who was Elizabeth Warren, uh, because she promised that she would nominate a teacher um, as Secretary of Education, and I think it's I think it's crucial that the person has experience as an educator, okay. but I'm not sure that I think that they needed need to be have been a K through 12 teacher. Good. Um, I think that. I think I would be fine, for example, with a professor, yes. <laughs> a college professor. And I think the fact of the matter is, if you look at the Department of Education, um, it the uh, the because in the U.S. we don't have a federal system of education um, at the K through 12 level. There's really I don't know how much policy is um, is really about what the classroom teacher. Uh, the knowledge that a classroom teacher would have, I'm not sure that that's as applicable. Um, really, one of the biggest programs that the uh, Department of Education runs, of course, is the student loan program. And I think that um, I would support somebody who was willing to forgive all student loans and work towards making um, uh, higher education free. Mm. Um, I think that what has to happen to fix education in this country is just a massive influx of money. Um so, um, but I would, I mean, if, if it ends up being of the, the president of a union, I, I wouldn't have any, um, I wouldn't have any problem with that. Um, I think that, I do think that, uh, it's important. It's incredibly important that teachers, uh, voices are better heard, um, in the, it, you know, if we look at what's happening right now, the sort of utter failure of the department of education, even with sort of its hands are tied in a lot of ways, but the utter failure to do anything in, during the pandemic to help make sure to push for PPE in schools or testing, um, to not not standardized testing. I'm sure DeVos is still pushing for that. Um, but for coronavirus testing, um, rapid testing um, in schools, there's just been no movement at the federal level to do the kinds of things and spend the kinds of money that has to happen for schools to be able to reopen safely. Um, so that being said, I, I think it's also important to um, to have somebody there who's who uh, have somebody there who's um, who's willing to sort of push Biden to um, to make sure that uh, we are willing to spend the money that has to be spent to, like you say, uh, 
to rebuild. I'm not sure that that's necessarily a union leader. Yeah. Um, it, it's not necessarily not a union leader, though, too, I guess. True. Is, is the, uh, absolutely. Is I think, absolutely. Is, I think, the argument. Um, it, but I, it, I guess I would add one more point is yeah. I think that um, as we rebuild again, you know, another thing that this pandemic has really, I, I hope, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm sad to say even that has laid bare is just, um, again, the 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 grotesque inequalities in the United States. And I think that um, I would not want someone to run the Department of Education that wasn't equipped to absolutely address racial um, inequality uh, in the U.S. And so, again, maybe that's a union person. Uh, maybe that's ahead of a union, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. As, long as, it get, unions, as long as it gets done. I... The teachers' unions in this country... I don't know that they necessarily have a great history of um, of racial justice. Mm. Um, so, well, that's uh, l- listen. I am optimistic that um, when we speak in twenty twenty one, you will have a brand new book out. Yes, um, it will kick serious ass because I have very little doubt about that, and that we'll be talking about you know what. A government led by uh, uh, President Joe Biden, hopefully, um, with, you know, first lady who is an educator. Exactly. exactly. Seems like a pretty great thing to me. Um, yes. Pretty thoughtful woman she is. And uh, it would be it'd be wonderful. Uh, Schools I think. will have so much money that everyone will have two interactive whiteboards. Right. And how can that how can that <laughs> what, go wrong? What could go wrong? What could go wrong? <laughs> Audrey Waters, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me, really. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the On Podcast Media Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Monica Burns, Mike Matera, Tisha Richmond, and many more by visiting onpodcastmedia.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website, oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter. And I can be found on Twitter at Irv Spanish. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Participate, for supporting us. Check out Participate.com to learn more about them. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.